Welcome to the Behind the Curtain Podcast, your real-world guide to real estate investment and property management. In this episode, we'll be discussing some of the issues that we faced during the recent winter storm of 2021. In the neighborhood chat, we'll discuss our new building and how we've come to work together. And finally, we'll discuss some of the investments we've managed for our investors. With me is Lindsay, our lead property manager here at Enterprise Property Management, and she's going to share with us some of the challenges that she and the team have faced, as well as the result of Wintergeddon 2021. So we've recently been through the winter storm of 2021, and um, it was very uh, interesting. It was definitely very different from the previous winter storms that we've been through. Um, but we uh, every year uh, we prepare for these kind of things. And uh, so what I'd like to do today is I'd like to kind of talk about uh, what we did to prepare for uh, this winter, more or less, which isn't over yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's uh, it's close to being over and uh, how we prepared for it, how we prefer prepare for winter every year. And then also uh, what some unique aspects were to this year's uh, winter weather versus sure. uh, uh, winter storms of the past. Well, I've been with uh, EPM for six years, um, and I want to say it was my second year here that we really took another look at our processes for winterization. Um, we decided that it was important to partner with um, a local plumbing company to winterize our vacant houses. So if a house is vacant with Enterprise, um, between December 1st and March 15th, we winterize um, the property. Um, there are steps that the local plumbing company does to um, drain all the water out of the house um, to try to prevent burst pipes. Now, nothing is foolproof, but we have definitely seen a decrease um, in the amount of burst pipes on the houses that have been uh, winterized. Um, So once a house is made ready, leasing goes out and checks um, and and signs off that the house is is ready to show, we'll order that winterization. Um, So for $160, the peace of mind to uh, winterize the property um, has definitely been an asset to a lot of our homeowners. Definitely. Um, so I think what's really what's interesting about that winterization process and what a lot of our investors don't know is um, they they would ask why we would need to winterize. And so, um, you know, kind of like what you said before, about the same time that you came on, we began to make a huge effort towards winterization of these properties. So just from your own perspective, why is it important that we winterize these properties? Well, at any given time, we could have 20 houses that are vacant. Um, and so with limited staff, if you're dealing with um, icy roads, we ne- may not be able to get out and check these houses as frequently as we would would like to. Um, so by winterizing the house, that's one safeguard that we can have in place um, that could protect the home um, during the vacancy period. We still try to check you know, heat once a week, make sure everything is, is good, but this is just one extra precaution that we can have in place and, and our homeowners have been thankful for it. Yeah, I think so, too. You know, uh, in in real estate sales, when we think about winterization, we often think about um, a property that's going to be sitting still, you know, for a long period of time. So um, during several 
you know, times in our history uh, in this industry, there have been periods of foreclosure um, where uh, the bank w- had to hold on to the house for a long period of time. They weren't necessarily sure when it was going to be occupied again. And so winterization was a, a natural part of what they did with the property. Um, so we were trying to use that same mentality towards protecting our properties with winterization during the winter season. Um, I, you know, for, for anybody who's listening right now, uh, at the very end of 2020 uh, and the beginning of 2021, when here in the South, at least, when we were looking at our weather, we never envisioned that we would have a night uh, with a, a nighttime low of one degree. No. You know, we never envisioned that there would still, you know, be snow drifts, you know, on the sides of our roads where snow plows, you know, have have pushed up anywhere from 18 inches to three feet mm-hmm. of snow. I mean, this is something that in Memphis, Tennessee, it's it's kind of unheard of. It's uh, so um, so a neat thing about enterprise property management um uh, and and what we do for our homeowners is we try to or we've created these systems that help protect their properties in case of a situation like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, for our listeners, uh, uh, the the week when all of this snow and ice was on the ground, um, we only had one vehicle uh, that had four wheel drive uh, capacity to be able to to get around to the properties that were not winterized and uh, and visit those and make sure that those properties were not yet leaking or uh, or had other issues that were directly related to uh, the wintertime storm. So um, I think one of the things that we should convey right now is why didn't we winterize certain properties? Like what what was the basis for that decision? Uh, some properties aren't winterized um, if they're part of a condo because um, they're shared water. So part of the winterization process is turning off the water to the property. In those cases, we can't do that. Um, if a house is still in the process of being made ready for rent, meaning that they're still going to need water to clean the property, we can't do the winterization process um, because it will no longer have access to it. So there are a few outliers that we weren't able to winterize and we had to go around and check and make sure everything was still safe. So uh, one of the other reasons why we didn't winterize certain properties uh, is just a matter of timing. So um, Lindsay and and uh, uh, two other property managers work the make ready process for all of our vacant properties. And so sometimes it's just a matter of timing. The house just turns vacant. Uh, we haven't yet performed the work on the property. And so uh, it it leads us to be in a position to where we can't yet winterize it. So one of the commitments that enterprise property management has to those homeowners is that we uh, go into the property, we drip the faucets, uh, we open up the cabinet doors, uh, we make sure that the uh, central heat is working, you know, throughout the property. Um, and we we do our best to, to make sure that the property is in the same condition as it would be if somebody were living in it. Um, so so those the, the, the scary thing, I think, for us as property managers is we can't be there at the property to watch it uh, as if it were an occupied property. Um, so with our occupied properties along the same line, we send out several uh, uh, winter storm warnings to those uh, tenants, residents, and we let those residents know, look, this is how you protect your home from freezing temperatures. You open the cabinet doors, you drip the faucets, you make sure that the heat is on, you 
know, at, at the if you're traveling, at the very least, you make sure that your heater's on it between 62 and 65 degrees. Um, and, and you do everything within your power to, to make sure that the water continues to flow through those pipes. Now, what happens if the pipes burst? Uh, so, like, this was, last week was a crazy week. Yes, very uh, much so. For, for us. Um, and I'll just paint a picture for the, for the listeners. We had a, um, uh, we had, you know, anywhere from five to eight inches of ice and snow on the roads. Uh, nobody was driving. Our office was officially closed. Um, we had a number of people, Lindsay, yourself, you were staying, uh, working remotely from home. Um, but th- for those of us who were able to get out into the field, we were driving around these you know, vacant houses that were not yet winterized. And uh, Ginger Smith and I were the main leads for responding to um, the uh, uh, the calls that were coming in for people that were having burst pipes. And so this is where it gets crazy. Um, I'm holding in my hand uh, the spreadsheet of approximately 35 homes that had some form of uh, uh, where their houses had were affected uh, deeply by the winter storm, by the deep, deep temperatures uh, drops that we were experiencing all across the South. Um, so uh, 35 houses were uh, had reported into us to have either uh, ice damming on the roof, which caused interior leaks into their properties. Uh, they had frozen pipes, which had not yet burst. They had uh, leaks that were coming into the property, mainly from um, uh, either burst pipes or water heaters, which had uh, frozen up. Um, and so there were a number of different ways in which we had to respond uh, during a period of time where the office itself, the physical office, was closed. So um, I think it's really cool that in the midst of our COVID response uh, and our preparation to work remotely from home, that our property management office was still able to respond, you know, to all of these issues. Yes. Um, so it's kind of like, what is the 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 statement? Uh, Necessity is the mother of invention. I think that's it, right? I think so. Yeah. So, out of the necessity of, of needing to be able to respond remotely due to COVID, we were able to respond to these to this winter storm and the burst pipe situation. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was nice because the setup that we have at home, Ginger and I are able to remote into the office, um, and oftentimes um, because of those thirty five that Aaron mentioned, only two were vacant. Um, the rest were all occupied. So we were remoting into our system to look at the server because the main thing we're telling tenants to do is turn off the main water supply to the house. If there is water flowing, just turn that water off. Well, not everyone knows where their water shutoff is. So we would find ourselves logging in uh, to the server, looking through photos to be able to direct the tenants, hey, this go to this cabinet. This is where the shutoff is. Shut it off and leave it off until a plumber gets there. Um, so that was able to help prevent a lot of secondary damage that could have incurred if they weren't able to find that emergency shutoff. Well, and super cool, too. One of the things that we want to touch on is that um, not every vendor in the city, not every plumber, not every roofer, um, not every dry out crew uh, were working. They weren't Correct. You know, so many of the, the the contractors that work in the city don't have or didn't have vehicles with four wheel drive mm-hmm. capacity, which I know that sounds silly to so many people that rely on four wheel drive every day. If you live like in a mountainous, you know, part of the country, stuff like that. But here in the south, it's very flat. And the, you know, most work vehicles don't have that capacity to get up and down, you know, 
snowy roads uh, or you know difficult terrain and so um, for us uh, our vendors were ready with uh, four-wheel drive capacity and so they were able to get out in that five to eight inches of snow and ice and make these repairs and so um, we want to say a specific thank you to drain go and their team uh, who got out to probably 20 houses with us maybe 22 24 um, in order to to uh, to check on plumbing to thaw plumbing plumbing um, to work with the burst pipes that we had. We want to say thank you to Excellent Roofing um, and John Bennett, who uh, stopped uh, the flow of water into our properties by melting ice dams from on top of roofs. Uh, I mean, I cannot express enough just the links to, uh, to to which our contractors will go in order to stop property damage. It is a huge deal, a massive commitment, and something that I don't know any other contractor, honestly, in either roofing or plumbing that was out there responding within 24 hours um, to the needs of these properties. Um, and so... You know, for homeowners who are listening, uh, we just want to let you know that one of the things that Enterprise does do for you on the front end is we create this network of uh, just really amazing uh, contractors that go above and beyond. Um, they they give Enterprise Property Management very specific attention and very specific pricing, and and very specific. Um, uh, they respond with a very specific time frame in order to to make sure that the properties that are under our care are managed and and attended to as quickly as possible um, so that, you know, the tenant can be satisfied with the response that that we have to an emergency maintenance situation, and also that property damage is limited to the least amount of property damage possible. Um, so, uh, you know, if you'd like to talk more uh, with us about how how we respond in emergency situations, we just, we invite you to, to reach out to us and we can have that conversation. Um, so, where we are right now is we're sort of wrapping up this conversation. Um, we, in this process, I'm, I'm still holding in my hand as I speak to you uh, a spreadsheet that we created just for us to use last week to track uh, houses with uh, water damage from uh, this winter storm. And so there are 35 properties that are on here. Um, this spreadsheet is is you know, half of it is already uh, uh, resolved, uh, which is unbelievable. Um, we're just two days into not having ice and snow on the ground, and half of these houses have already been completed. So that's a huge deal. And again, we just we just want to thank our vendors so much for for being so great at what they do. Um, the other half of uh, this spreadsheet uh, show properties which uh, we've given estimates to our homeowners for repair. Many of our homeowners have already responded with uh, uh, approval to proceed uh, either to, you know, uh, go ahead and, and replace burst water heaters of, of which we had, I think, two or three houses with burst water heaters that we had to replace. Um, or we've uh, given them estimates for um, property damage, sheetrock damage, dry out carpet um fans, dehumidifiers, things like that, and they've approved. And, and so these houses are currently being dried out. Um, so uh, one really cool thing that I did want to talk to you about, Lindsay, is um, how we we share these spreadsheets as worksheets. Yeah, yeah workable worksheets. Uh, it's great. Um, by having everything in one place, all of our team members have access to it. Um, it makes us more effective. Um, there's no double doing work um, and anyone of our staff members can see in real time 
what vendor has been sent out to the property and what the status at the property is. Um, so by creating this, um, I think it made us a lot more effective in getting everything knocked out and getting um, these tenants back to living in their property the way that they had, you know, pre the ice storm. Yeah, I absolutely agree. So, you know, the the spreadsheet that we're that we're discussing and gosh, we could go on forever. Lindsay and I are property management nerds like <laughs> we 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 enjoy the work that we do. And between she and I and uh, and the rest of our team here at Enterprise, we we strategize um, before there are these uh, uh you know, challenging situations, challenging weather, challenging times of year, maybe where we're dealing with either heat or mm-hmm. air conditioning or winterization, and we we strategize with our vendors. Um, so the capacity, which I know sounds very simple, um, uh, to uh, to share these spreadsheets and share our knowledge uh, uh, between each other, so that um, we can always have access to that in the middle of the night, before the office opens in the morning, in the middle of the day, um, being able to see the same information and share that information seamlessly between property managers. That's a big deal. Um, And it's something that we enjoy doing and that we prioritize so that we can maintain efficiency and a high degree of customer satisfaction with our tenants, which is what our property owners want more than anything is for their resident to be pleased with our performance. So, um, so we're very pleased about that. So anyway, that's just a little bit of an insight into what we've been through this last week. Um, and you know, for all we know, we may have one more winter storm, you know, <laughs> in us I for the, not. <laughs> I, I hope not too, but you never know. March is kind of a funny month. That's true. But we, we have all the tools in place that if it were to happen, you know, we would just hit the ground running just like we did this last time. Yeah. So when just one last question, when do we stop winterizing properties? So um, March 15th is is the cutoff. Um, we tell owners between December 1st and March 15th. However, we will look at the extended forecast to see whether or not we're going to have any dips in because at the end of the day, we want to save owners money if we can. But if we know there's going to be cold weather, we know what's being sent, uh, spent on the winterizations is worth it just for the peace of mind. Right. Okay, so theoretically, uh, we've got three more weeks, I think, of uh, of winter. So, um, so we're going to continue to watch these properties and watch the weather, um, and try to protect our homeowners' houses. And um, thanks for listening to us talk a little bit about winterization. And again, if you want to talk about anything uh, that Enterprise Property Management does to protect your investment, uh, just give us a call or send us an email, and we'd love to talk to you about um, how we strategize to to protect your investment. And now, neighborhood chat. One of you has to ask me a question. So, Aaron, what's going on here <laughs> at the new building for EPM? How long have we been, have we been here now? I think we've been here for, um, you know, actually up and running for about 16 months in the building. And it's been the fastest 16 months of my life. Um just because, you know, on top of everything that we do day to day, and I talk to my wife about this a lot, I'm my brain is always thinking about the building, about improving the building. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about where we are. Um, uh, we rented a space for the longest time as a property management. And, a very and, small space. Oh, my have. gosh. It was teeny. It was so, so small. It was about 1,600 square feet, and we had nine people working at Enterprise in that space. So... Um, here in Cordova, about two years ago, um, the uh, larger 
um, economy began to affect commercial um, buildings here. And so I believe that we bought the last affordable building here in Cordova. And and, and it's a dream when I tell people, I'm not going to say it here, but when I tell people what I purchased this building for, they are floored. And this is now this is how many square feet compared to the other space? So total square feet here is 5,700 more. So or you less. went from 1,600 square feet to 5,700 square feet. Absolutely. Yeah. And what was really neat is the building that we purchased uh, is has some history. So um, there was a home builder here in Memphis called Faxon Gillis, and this was their last corporate headquarters uh, before they closed during the correction um, or the crash, I should say. And um, so the building itself is built uh, kind of on a, a residential sort of front elevation. It looks just like a big, beautiful home on, you know, when you're looking at it from the street. Um, so one of the things that's very interesting about the, its current uh, state of development, this building, uh, so uh, Enterprise Property Management and EPM Real Estate house the downstairs portion of this building. Upstairs, since this building was built in 1994, was used by the home builder as a display room for building materials, you know, shingles, bathrooms, kitchens, things like that. So there's about 1,600 square feet uh, upstairs in this building that was still housed by things like bathtubs and showers. When we bought this place, it was full of desks and, you know, tile samples. And anyway, you, you get the point. So my whole goal um, with this upstairs area, which is about 1,600 square feet, which is surprising, you know, um, is how do we make it functional? So we've been spending the last year or so slowly tearing down walls and getting rid of, um, you know, bathroom stuffs and, and trying. what did you do with all that stuff? We just threw it away. You threw it away. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you know, we've got pictures to show the before and, and we may put those up on the website so that people can see the transition. But my whole goal uh, with this space is to create a sales floor and a presentation area for our investors who come into town um, so that they can come up here to the upstairs portion of the building, um, have a seat, have a coffee, um, and and just use this space as a very comfortable space to, so that they don't have to leave, they don't have to go to a Starbucks with us. You know, we can just call this home base when they're in town. Um, so it's a it's a quiet conference center. Um, and uh, but going through the whole building permit process has been very eye opening for me. And I really understand what contractors are going through now when they're looking to do a complete rehab on a property like you were talking about your your um, your seller before. So we've had some ups and downs, but I was told this morning uh, that our building permit was finally released. So now our plumber is going to start working on the bathroom here and getting that finaled so that we can actually be in uh, construction. So you're going to have a kitchen up here? We're going to have a small kitchen up here. How about a wet bar? Uh, I mean, you technically, yeah. I mean, you can have a, a non-alcoholic wet bar, right? I mean. No. Oh, well, sorry. I didn't hear that first part. Uh, what was that? Let's not just, a non what? <laughs> you know, it, this is this place is open during <laughs> I've business I've never heard of such a thing. What's well, that? but there's always, it's five o'clock somewhere. That's true. <laughs> I mean, I guess it really depends I on I can the, tell you where I won't be hanging out, the non-alcoholic wet bar. <laughs> I mean, we're we're trying to spend our time productively, guys. I mean, come on. Of course, right? Yeah, yeah. We course. we make more money Ingest. when we're drinking a scotch or a whiskey than we do all day long. Well, then I mean, I mean, I see you up here. <laughs> but no, it's it it really is super exciting to see uh, an improvement like this. You know actually happen the way that I envisioned it. So I'm excited for our investors to see that. Um, something interesting that did happen with um, with the permit office, um, our design for this upstairs space had a two-stall bathroom. So in the downstairs of our building, we are completely up to code with two 
um, single sex restrooms, right? So the ladies room is there, has two stalls. The men's room has, you know, two stalls more or less. And so we're literally adding a third bathroom up here. Well, code enforcement had, they just refused to move forward with allowing us the permit because we had a single two stall bathroom up here. So they said, well, you can't have that. Why not? Because there's the possibility that there would be a man and a woman using the restroom simultaneously inside of the same bathroom. But what if they identify as a woman? <laughs> so this is Tennessee. Um, I don't we're think, in the, we're in the Bible <laughs> Belt. <laughs> I'm just trying to throw you off a little bit. I appreciate that. Well, no, I mean, it was, it was actually very shocking. You know, so just proof again that sometimes state code and, and county code is not with the times. And so um, they explained it to me. They just said, you know, you can't have a man and a woman using the restroom beside each other simultaneously. So there's going to be a single restroom. So it's a single restroom. That's fine. That's yeah. good. Yeah. But, you know. That's it, so silly. And it's silly. It is. But, hey, that's the way government works. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so anyway, just really grateful for um, grateful for code enforcement. Um, you know, these people have a hard job. Okay. I mean, it's, it's not easy to tell people no. It's not easy to look at somebody's plan. Uh, as you know, our esteemed producer often looks at my plans and says it's total crap. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to be that guy unless you enjoy doing that thing. So, uh, what about you guys? I don't guys? know who would enjoy doing that. What? Being a shooting people down. Yeah. yeah. Or even, even just having to go around and do inspections and permits and all that. It just doesn't sound like fun to me. It's a, it's a special kind of person. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they say that. We're special kind of people because we sell real estate. I have a lot of people ask me if I'm an investor, and I tell them no. And they and it and it confounds them a little bit because that's what I do is I help them find properties. Right. They don't understand why I don't want to do that. I'm a negotiator. I bring people together, buyer and seller, and make a transaction work. I love that. But I don't want to be a landlord. And so I'm not a property owner other than my own personal property. Well, no, you are. You really are very good at what you do. You know, Glenn, I think we don't the listeners don't know you very well yet, you know, and, and so we're looking forward to getting to know you and just your professional history and, and, and what makes you tick and what makes you so good at this. But, um, you know, it, when you first came on with Enterprise, um, you you and I had been working together for a couple of years um, while you were underneath another brokerage. And um, I just remember how, and I still feel this way, you know, how excited I was that you would identify with the enterprise brand. Um, and it, it, even back then, it was, it was, it meant a lot to me. And I, th- I think everybody here at Enterprise that you would come over and say, yeah, I want to be enterprise, you know. And so um, the cool thing about you, you've been with us, I think, on the books now for about three years. And so the really great thing about working and longer than that. Well, I mean, we've worked together for a long, yeah. long time, yeah. but I, I think like officially on the books, I think we started in seven. And so um, what's really neat to me about that is that people now, when they think enterprise, they don't just think Aaron Ivey. You know, they think Glenn Green. They think Brett Bernard. Um, you know, they see us uh, as the team that we really are. Well, it's been fun becoming a team. Um, when, when I first got my license, um, your dad, Bill Ivey, uh, who I respect completely, uh, had I had met him when working at RMC, which is a previous company that Brett and I owned together, a loss mitigation company. And I thought so highly of him that I wanted to be like him. And so I wanted to get my license. And I thought when I did that I, most of my business would be owner-occupant, and then I would be doing some work with you 
to bring in investment properties to EPM. But over time, that investment side grew so much that it's actually flipped to where 80% of what I do is investor-related and 20% is owner-occupant. And I hate to say it – well, I don't hate to say it. I love to say it now. I love the business. I don't – because when the market does turn, guess what? I'm still going to have buyers and I'm still going to have sellers. And I'm not – my owner-occupant business – will suffer because it always does in any kind of a correction. But this investment property business will continue. And I love the work because most of the time I'm working by myself because my clients are out of state. So I get to drive around all day and look at properties, take pictures, write reports, make offers, and help my investors. So I love what I do. Brett? Oh, me too. Okay, good. I absolutely love what I do. Of course, 90% of what I do is investment because when I joined up with you guys, I went to work with Glenn, mm-hmm. and of course, at that point, Glenn was moving investment properties as fast as the fast as he could, and so I, I, I melded my way into that that formula, uh, and I agree with him one hundred percent. I think the best time for guys like us is when the economy does turn, when the market has the market does turn. We know guys that bought up properties in two thousand nine for peanuts and have turned them into million dollar assets. Uh, so this time around, you can have a lot more investors, I think, will be smart and realize, hey, now's the time to buy. And they'll come in and start buying up stuff left and right. Yeah. So I, business, we're, it'll be business we're in an impervious with us. Our style of business is impervious to the housing economy. It really is. I mean, there's always going to be buyers and sellers. Well, you know, Actually, it gets a little slower as the market caps mm-hmm. because investors slow down their buying because they're paying top dollar for everything. Right. Um, they want that 80 cents or at 70 cents on a dollar buy, which is very hard to get here these days. Yeah. Well, and, you know, not to, um, you know, I, what I would love to do right now is talk about, you know, my knowledge of, of our current environment here in, in Memphis. But I'm really I'm going to I'm not going to do it you know, Cause, because I, I'm the same way. Um, you know, just I'll, I'll put in my two cents. I love what I do. Um, and a lot of people will will. You know, when they hear what I do, they're really surprised. They're like, "Why? You're a professional landlord?" And I'm like, "Mm-hmm." And they're like, "That sounds like insane, no- like nothing <laughs> I would ever want to do." And I, you know, my response, of course, is I, the way that we approach it is everything. You know, like the way that you approach sales is everything. It's, it makes you who you are. Um, you guys are extremely trustworthy, very integrous. Um, it's unusual for us as men, but we're all three great communicators. Um, and so, you know, we we do enjoy what we do because we actually do the work. You know, we're not just saying we, we do something and we don't do it. Um so in property management, you know, it's I'm surrounded by a fantastic team of people. Um, and I hope to have, you know, a few of them up here on this on this podcast so that people can hear from them. But they're a different breed, you know, and you guys know that. So, you know, for our listeners, um, the three of us sitting around this table, we are very little to nothing like the people who are running the property management company. They are. Uh, they are extremely effective in um, looking at spreadsheets, looking at statements. Um, my inspectors are extremely um, accurate in their assessment of properties. Very detailed. Right. And and challenge. They challenge us, don't they? Yes. It's almost irritating sometimes. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> So, Brett, you and I have worked with a range of real estate investors that come from different countries. They come from different financial backgrounds, and they have different goals for what they're looking to accomplish here in Memphis. So, um, 
if you could just tell us who you believe could get involved in Memphis real estate, like what is that person? I will tell you pretty much anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you mentioned, yes, we have millionaires from Tokyo. We've got uh, utility linemen from the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got construction workers. We've got contractors, nurses. Um, we've got a wide range of people that have other expertise and other professions that are investing in real estate. You don't have to be a millionaire today in order to invest in real estate because you have a lot of lenders that um, will work with someone if they have established credit history and, and have the means because the first time investor needs to realize they look at your income, but they also look at the, what the, the income, the property produces, mm-hmm. right? Um, one, one scenario I see a lot of is investors that actually come out, go to a hard money lender, mm. right? Borrow hard money at a you know, downside. It's, it's it's a little costly, but then they'll go buy their first two or three houses and then build up a 12-month credit history, payment history, and then go to the bank, refinance them, pay out that hard money lender. And now you've established yourself with a lender, with rental property, with a decent payment history, and now that bank you just refinance with will work with you moving forward on and on as long as the numbers work, mm-hmm. right? Um, so there's really no reason why anyone couldn't be an investor. Uh, you just have to have the stomach for it because let's face it, we've we've seen some pretty – you've got to have the stomach for the ups and the downs. Right. Yeah. I mean, obviously in property management, you know, one of the things that we try to do is to soften – uh, those difficult situations for them and handle them for them. So, but there are ups and downs, and, and th- that's the other thing you've got as an investor. I think um, you you've got to be able to release responsibilities <clears throat> to a property manager. You well, know let what I'm me, saying? Let me give you a perfect example of a new investor who refused to have someone manage the property. Said she wanted to do it on her own. Mm. I won't mention names or anything. Okay. But uh, so I have a new investor who came to me. Uh, this is her first property. Uh, we sold her a townhouse. And uh, so we finally went to close. And she closed, I think, at 3 o'clock on that afternoon. And it started raining. At 5.30 that evening, the ceiling caved in in the unit. And water was rushing down through it by an act of God. Right. But she literally owned it three hours. Right. Um, so she's now been having to deal with this on her own. Because she didn't have a management company behind her. She chose to manage herself. I think I've convinced her to come to us now. So I think we'll be getting her soon. Uh, But anyway, it's a long, drawn-out scenario. It's been very difficult for her because she's not only a first-time investor, first-time landlord. Now she's got an act of God damage to the property, and she's having to have repairs done and deal with the tenant and the tenant's losses and whatever. Um, So – I I, I don't see why anybody would not hire me. I know people say, well, I'm paying a management company to – you're paying them a management company a lot more. They're doing a lot more than you realize behind the scenes right. because there's someone physically maintaining, watching, collecting, right. uh, uh, dealing with maintenance, and all the things that this other investor has told you about is having to do on her own. And it's she didn't have the time. Right, right. It's driving her crazy. Yeah, you know, so. and, and you know, I'm a huge believer in property management. So sure, uh, but that, that's a perfect example of why you should be using a property manager. If that had happened under our 
management, then we would have been responsive to the tenant. We'd have been responsive right. to the cleanup, right. dealing with the insurance company, dealing with the previous owner and all that stuff. Right. But instead, she had to face all on her own with very little experience. Right. Um, so I, I will be honest, I've stepped out there and helped her quite a bit. And you have too, even though we don't manage her. Um, we've stepped out and, and assisted her. Um, and I'm going to continue to assist her. And, then, and then that's that's good. So uh, let me ask you, why? what are the goals that people are looking to achieve when they call you and they say, okay, hey, I'm, I'm a self-proclaimed investor. I have these you know, funds in reserve that I'm willing to, to put down on, on investment property and, and, or I've got this other you know, capacity. What, what are people looking to achieve in owning Memphis real estate and in buying Memphis real estate? What are you hearing from them? That's, it's different for everybody. Okay, well, let's give you um, a few examples. <clears throat> uh, i give you a perfect example. I'm dealing with an investor now out, of, out on the West Coast and uh, called me um, and said that I, I'd, I'd, I'd represented the seller. He was the buyer through another agent um, of one of the properties I had listed, and he bought it and was very – uh, liked how he handled things. I put him in touch with you. He became a, uh, he manages now with Enterprise. Mm-hmm. So his property's here. So he reached out to me because he liked how the last deal went and didn't call his old agent. He called me instead and said, uh, I'm, I'm ready to move on and get my next property. I said, well, before I do that, I want us to have an actual phone conversation. I don't right. want to do email, right. text. I said, I want us to talk on the phone so I can we can physically talk. Um and I start off, I ask every, every investor the same question. What is your goal? Explain to me what you envision by being a real estate investor. What do you What do you expect to get out of it? What do you want out of it? And I ask that question, I always get the same answer from most. Well, I just want to, you know, be, I want to, I want to uh, just make money in real estate. You know, I want to end up owning 20, 30, 50 properties and eventually retire and blah, 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 whatever. This guy's answer to me was unique because he said, I want to be uh, financially free in five years. I said, what do you mean financially fee? free? He goes, I want to have enough rental property to where my basic bills are paid. And I don't have to go to work if I don't want to. Because I won't be rich, but I don't have to go to work if I don't want to. I right. can still pay the light bill. Right. I can still pay my mortgage. I can buy my kids stuff. I can pay for their school. Um, so what that did for me is that narrowed me that narrowed it down to say, okay, well, then you, you need to produce – how much? Five right. grand, six grand a month in income? Right. What's the income? Yeah. yeah. So that helped me now narrow down on what he, what kind of path he needs to set his portfolio on. What he needs to buy, when he needs to buy it, and how quickly he needs to buy it to reach his goal. Right. Um, so I just say that at the end of the day, every, every investor comes in here. It really depends on what, the, I mean, let's face it. There are some guys that buy out of pride, right? Right. Pride of ownership. Um We've seen some guys make some dumb mistakes with their properties and rentals and investments, um, not not understanding why they made those decisions. But but through your basic new investor, all I hear is, I, w- I just want to make some money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, a lot of investors that that I've helped vet, you know, and and um, uh, and and then pass along to you and, and Glenn. Um, their goals often come across uh, as a, a need, an actual need to invest capital. You know, like sure. like I, in, in my experience, um, I've gotten to work with some very wealthy people. And when I say wealthy, here's what I mean by that. 
their bills are paid, right? Um, they are either business owners <clears throat> or they are uh, they're they're wealthy on some level. You know, they they are really are financially self sufficient. You know, a lot of them, and so they're saying, I have plenty of money in the stock market. Sure. You know, um, and I need to buy and own real property. And because there are huge tax write offs, sure. I mean, I have over the years helped investors understand the. Uh, the strength of having expenses, you know, and um, and and you got to train people to be able to do that. You know, how do you how do we do these tax write offs? You know, how do we take advantage of the fact that I'm owning real estate? Um, you can't do that in this with your stocks. You can't do that with yeah. your portfolio. You and know, I, see, no I haven't I haven't I've dealt with a few investors that are looking for tax write offs, and that's a totally different ballgame. That's a totally different animal. Obviously, you want to you want to get them into solid investments that aren't gonna they're gonna lose money on. Um, but tax write-off investing is a complete – most of who I deal with right now in Memphis are guys just like us, mm-hmm. right? You know, they, they, they make a decent living. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't want to work till they're 80 to retire, and they're looking for a way to invest some of their 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 savings and their earnings instead of putting it in a 401K, putting it into real estate, and maybe building something bigger right. for their future. Well, okay, so, so – that's, that's the average investor that I find in Memphis. Now, we do have those guys that do come in sure. from Japan and different areas with millions dollars right. uh, and they're just looking for tax breaks right. but the majority of investors in memphis i think are, are just like us you know, right. just want to build a future so on that point um we we do have a lot of new investors that come in um it, enterprise has got a wonderful reputation with investors with buyers um, we're very trustworthy you know the our reviews online of course they they say as much so to the newer buyer who is not um well-versed on financing and the requirements that banks would have or a lender would have on uh, the acquisition of two or three properties. What are the general requirements in your experience um, for, and I'm not talking about vetting their credit and stuff like that, but what is the bank looking for from the buyer to put up in order to get the loan? Are there, in your experience, what have you seen the banks require? Well, I mean, look, if you're going to be an investment uh, an investor, you're going to have to put 20% down, okay. right? To get mortgaged. Um, I think on, you would say that that's just a smart move anyway. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, a bank's not going to loan money to a new investor without something, without any skin in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't go get an FHA 3%, you know, or Fannie Mae back loan if you're going to buy an investment property. Right. I know they used to have products like that, but they don't, I don't think they do. Do you anymore. think they're going to get, get back there like, like this I year? I surely hope not. That's what hurt the, that's what hurt the housing market before. But, the um, I th- you just need to have the money to put down. So if you're gonna buy a hundred thousand dollar house, they're gonna look. Do you have twenty percent to put down on right. it? All right, you have to have some skin in the game. Um, what about reserves? Yeah, I mean, you're initially they're gonna want you to have some money in a reserve account for immediate repairs, you know, marketing, whatever else you got to do to rent the house. So if I'm a buyer, okay, and I say, hey, I've got fifty grand in the bank and I want to buy two houses, um, you have two options. Okay, right? You go to the mortgage company or go to a bank and get a loan to buy two houses, or you go buy two twenty-five thousand dollars houses for cash. Which we would, which I would suggest the first option. So in that scenario, though, I'm going to need to show I'm going to need to be be ready to put up, you know, yeah. twenty five thousand down mm-hmm. or or the the appropriate amount. Let's say it's a sixty thousand dollar house. So I need to be able to put up about, you know, 10 to 12 down. Right. Right. Um, and then also the bank is going to want to see that I've got cash in reserves. Should I need like when repairs are, are necessary and required? Right now, it, 
there there's also a trend that I'm starting to see here lately, and I don't know where they're teaching this. Somewhere, somewhere at some seminar guru, you know, they're saying, "Hey, here's how you do it." Go to Memphis, go to Little Rock, buy yourself a $60,000 house, put 10000 into it, you got seventy grand in it, and when you're done, it's worth ninety. refinance it at 100%. Mm-hmm. And pull the 20 out and use the 20 to go buy another house, sure. right? right. Um, which, in theory, is a good idea. That's the BRRR method, the Bit. Burr method, right? Yeah. In theory, is a good idea. However, I don't know of any lenders that loan you 100% on a rental property. No, in fact, when so we your have, numbers get the problem I find is that when people get into doing that formula, you either have to buy that property at forty or fifty cents on a dollar to make it work, but buying it at sixty and seventy cents a dollar doesn't work because then when you go to refinance the bank, the bank most they'll go is eighty percent. Right, you're going to pull ten percent out of a seventy thousand dollar deal, right. and you're going to put seven grand in your pocket. That's not enough to move on to a new property. So you got to really sit down and evaluate what you're doing. Look at the numbers. Look at the values. Look at the, you know, I still believe the best way to do that theory is you buy it, fix it up, rent it for three or four years, let the market appreciate, then refi. Right. But guys are trying to do it months after they buy the property. I mean, that what you're talking about is a get rich quick thing. Do you know know? anybody that got rich quick in real estate? Um, No. Other than Donald Trump? No. (laughs) No. In fact, there are several stories that you and I both know. There's a a very famous radio person um, that is all about helping people understand how debt works. And he, in his stories, he's out of Nashville, I believe, Mm -hmm. or Franklin, Tennessee. Um, And and he explains how he got so deep into real estate debt um, that when the market corrected, uh, his margins were so narrow that he had to file for bankruptcy. So one of the things that he, he really tries to encourage his people to do is not let your margins get so narrow. Um, and so what you and I are doing right now is is not, it's not, we're advising our investors to be smart about their money, to to have reserves. Well, listen, we could we could pitch that idea all day long and make a ton of money in the next 12 right. months. Guess where we'll be in two years? Not, we don't have any investors left because they'll all be out of business or broke or mad at us. Sure. Um, so I want, you know, I, I try to encourage investors to, to do exactly what you're talking about. And it's build in a what if. Mm-hmm. Build in a, a, a drain on the tub mm-hmm. just in case, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the market dropped in 2009 30% overall. I think between um, the end of 07 or, or 2007 through 2009, that two-year time frame, we can safely say that the market in Memphis probably lost 30%. Right. In general, on, on properties. So if you go into a property and you pay seventy for it, put fifteen twenty in it, and you're in it for you know ninety thousand dollars, and the, the market was a crash. Now we don't expect another right. crash to happen. But let's let's just say during our and careers. then two or three years go by, um, it appreciates the value up to about a hundred grand, maybe a hundred and five. Then the market tanks eighteen percent. Sure. Where are you at? Right. You're very close to what you're in it for, right. so you're safe. Right. Um, versus going in it and knowing ninety nine thousand or hundred thousand, it finally gets to one hundred three, and then it tanks, and now you're down to you know you're upside down twenty, which is what I used to do with the loss mitigation when investors were upside down hundreds of thousands of dollars on their portfolio. My job was to liquidate those through the bank, negotiate with the bank, and allow the investors to walk away free and clear. Thank you for listening to Behind the Curtain Podcast, your real-world guide to real estate investment and property management. Be sure to subscribe at BehindTheCurtainPodcast.com. And if you'd like to learn more about Enterprise Property Management's real estate services, please visit us on the web at epmrealestate.com. 
This has been a Sound Ideas Group production for Enterprise Property Management, Inc.